0: Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it! All right, so we are in the middle of a series called Deep Change. And we began this series talking about our foundations and how we, we said that many of us have faulty foundations. And because of that, our spiritual homes, so to speak, always feel like they could come crashing down at a moment's notice. And we talked about how our foundational beliefs, things like the way we respond to or the way we react to certain situations, the way we handle our emotions, our belief systems about money, about love, about success, etc. That these types of things are often learned unconsciously in our formative years as a child. And then we looked at the words of Paul from his letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13. And he said that when he was a child, he thought like a child. He reasoned like a child. He spoke like a child. But when he became an adult, he put away childish things. But many of us have not. We still act like little kids every time we're triggered. Our responses and emotional behaviors are just like they were when we were nine or ten years old. Sure, our tantrums and pouting look different because we're adults, but the root response is often the same. And we looked at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we did a kind of a deep dive, and it was a recap really from last year because renew was our theme for the year. The word renew in this context literally means to grow up. Paul is telling us that if we're going to be transformed, if our lives are going to be deeply changed, we have to grow up in the way that we think. We briefly also talked about how we are made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. And how when we come to Christ, that our spirits are made new, but our souls are not. The simplified biblical definition of soul is our mind, our will, and emotions. So our spirits are made new. Our past is wiped away, but the thoughts, our mind, those still remain. So when we surrender our lives to Christ, we are Clean because of his sacrifice. We're washed clean. The blood that he shed on the cross paid for our sins. But when we are saved, the years of habits, behaviors, and trauma aren't magically erased. I wish that they were. Yes, we've been forgiven, but the things that we've learned consciously and unconsciously, our belief systems and ways of processing, those don't automatically become biblically aligned. That only happens with intention. And because of that, there are people in this room and all over the world who are struggling because somehow we've come to believe that if I pray one prayer of surrender to Jesus, that all of the bad things in my life will magically and automatically get better. And this simply is not true. We must become intentional about renewing our mind, about bringing our belief system into alignment, bringing our learned behaviors into alignment with the word of God. I don't want to spend a lot more time on this particular thought, but I do want to give you at least some biblical examples of things that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks of generational tendencies and patterns being passed down. You can find plenty of, exam- of examples of this, especially in the book of Genesis. And in the margin of my Bible, I underline every time I see a generational pattern. I just write it down or write in the margin. I don't know if you write in your Bible, but you should. Write some notes, and, and, and so you know, like you can go back to it and see what God was, was showing you. But let me just give you just a few examples, all right? A family pattern of lying. Abraham lied about his wife Sarah. We're gonna read about that in a second. Abraham's son, Isaac, and his wife, Rebekah, their marriage was characterized by lies. Isaac's son, Jacob, lied to almost everyone. And Jacob's 10 sons, they lied about their brother, Joseph's death. They faked a funeral and they kept the family secret for more than 10 years. There's a family pattern of favoritism. Abraham favored his son, Ishmael. Abraham's son, Isaac, favored Esau over Jacob. And Isaac... Isaac's son, Jacob, then favored Joseph and later Benjamin over all of his other brothers. There's a family pattern of separation. Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael, were cut off from each other. Isaac's son, Jacob and Esau, were cut off from each other for years. Jacob, Jacob's son, Joseph, was cut off from his brothers and family again for more than 10 years. Now, really quick, I want to give you some, a couple of specific verses where we see family patterns. In Genesis chapter 20. In verse 1, it says this, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. And then Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. It's kind of weird to read these out of context. I just want to show you something very specific. So when Abraham lied about Sarah, his son Isaac wasn't even born. But if we jump over a few chapters, in several years, we now see Abraham's son Isaac in the same exact location with the same king. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 1, it says this, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Verse 7, And when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. Because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. I don't know if Abraham passed that story down to his child, to Isaac. Like, you know, there's some things you do as a dad you don't really want your kids to know. I feel like that's one of them. You know, when you lie about that. Ah, she's not my wife. She's just like, I don't know if that's something you pass on, but maybe they did. Either way, we have this generational pattern of lying. Let me give you another example. God promised Abraham that he and Sarah would have a son. But they were old, beyond childbearing age. And while waiting on the promise of God, they became impatient. And so Abraham sleeps with his servant Hagar, and she has a son. That's Ishmael. Now, watch what happens to Abraham's grandson years later in Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30, verse 1 When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. And so she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? And then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. And so she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. The story gets even crazier when Jacob's other wife, Leah, then gave her maidservant to sleep with him to have another baby. Jacob is a very busy man. <laughs> He's sleeping with two wives, two different maidservants. Kids are popping out everywhere. And somehow in the midst of all of this dysfunction is the lineage of Jesus. Jesus, the bloodline, his bloodline comes directly from this chaos. Don't tell me that God can't redeem your story. In Genesis 20... God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments. And I don't know, it feels like I'm jumping all over the place. I'm just trying to, it's, hopefully it'll come together at the end. If not, you've been around long enough, you'll give me grace and come back next week. We'll do better. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Watch this language, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations for those who hate me. Again, we're talking about and we've been talking about learning things consciously and unconsciously from my childhood and carrying that into adulthood and passing it down. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Author and pastor Jason Isaacs says this regarding this passage of scripture. Quote, at first glance, this seems harsh. The idea of punishing future generations for the sins of their ancestors doesn't seem fair. But the original Hebrew word for punish means consequences that repeat or consequences becoming fully known. Therefore, the meaning of this verse is this. The sins of one generation tend to repeat themselves or the consequences become fully known over three or four generations. End quote. Every person in this room has either experienced or knows someone who has experienced the family cycle that tends to be handed down from generation to generation. How many times have you seen a family where alcoholism is generational? Grandpa, dad, son. How many times have you seen a family where divorce, adultery, sexual abuse, conflict, crime, sibling rivalry, etc. It just runs in the family. How many times do we say that? It just runs in, it runs in my family. And part of the problem for us is this. We have embraced these generational patterns, tendencies, and behaviors as part of our identity. A few weeks ago, I made a reference to ancient Israel coming out of 400 plus years of slavery. For 430 years, all they had known was bondage and Egyptian culture. And now they had been liberated physically, but they maintained an Egyptian way of thinking. So much so that there are moments on their journey where they begin to, the Bible says, crave the things of Egypt. They wanted to go back to what was familiar. Because what is familiar is often easier to deal with than the unexpected. Going back to my old way of doing things may be painful, but at least I know what to expect. The fear of the unknown is often greater than the pain of our bondage. And so our families pass on these generational patterns and tendencies. But God has made a way for us to be completely free. But instead of walking in and embracing that freedom, we often remain in bondage and sometimes it's because the familiarity of our dysfunction is easier than learning a new way of life. These generational patterns were a curse for disobedience to God's law. That's what we were reading about. God was giving Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, and all of the other things that came along with that. And so these, this generational pattern that's passed on was a curse for being disobedient. This is thousands of years before Christ. But even before the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, God made a way for them to be free. Let me give you another verse to meditate from the Old Testament, and then we're going to flip to the New and see what those after the cross have to say about this. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 40 says, But if they will confess their sin, watch this language, and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility toward me. Then, verse forty-two, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. God says, "Confess your sins and the sins of your ancestors, and I will remember my covenant." Now, let's fast forward to after the cross, and read what the New Testament writers have to say. First Peter chapter one, and I love this verse of scripture. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter, who walked with Jesus, is telling us what doctors, therapists, and psychiatrists are telling us today. Telling us today that our families of origin, our ancestors... Pass, down, pass stuff down to us. But Peter also tells us the, the solution, that we don't have to embrace that. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have surrendered your life to Him, then you have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Yeah. Now let's look at the words of Paul, the great first century missionary. This is a verse taken from a letter that he wrote to what would now be modern day Turkey. Galatians chapter three, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree or on a pole. Remember, generational patterns being handed down. When God said, punishing to the third and fourth generation, the children from the ancestors, that is a curse of the law. And then Paul comes along later and says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Generational sin, patterns, behaviors, and tendencies, again, are a curse For not following the law of Moses, which we are no longer under. Remember the verse we read from Exodus. If you don't follow this law, you and your children will be punished for three to four generations. That's the curse. But Paul is telling us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we no longer have to live as slaves held in bondage by the sins of our ancestors. But even though Christ has set us free... We often still live as slaves. We're still in bondage. We are still repeating the same patterns, sins, and behaviors of our ancestors. Just like ancient Israel, we're free, but we still crave the things of Egypt. Now in just over a week, our nation will celebrate a holiday called Juneteenth. It's only recently become a national holiday. It's an event in our nation's history that I personally had never heard of until the past few years. The National Museum of African American History and Culture says this regarding the upcoming holiday of Juneteenth. Quote, on Freedom's Eve, around the eve of January 1st, 1863, the first watch night services took place. On that night, enslaved and free African Americans gathered in churches and private homes all across the country awaiting the news that the emancipation proclamation had taken effect. At the stroke of midnight, prayers were answered as all enslaved as all enslaved people in the Confederate states were declared legally free. Union soldiers, many of whom were black, marched onto plantations and across cities And across cities in the South, reading small copies of the Emancipation Proclamation, spreading the news of freedom in the Confederate States. Only through the 13th Amendment did emancipation and slavery end through the United States. It, it continues. But not everyone in the Confederate territory would immediately be free. Even though the Emancipation Proclamation was made effective in 1863, it could not be implemented in places still under Confederate control. As a result... In the westernmost Confederate state of Texas, enslaved people would not be free until much later. Freedom finally came on June 19, 1865, when some 2,000 Union troops arrived in Galveston Bay, Texas. The army announced that more than 250,000 enslaved black people in the state were free by executive decree. And this day became known as Juneteenth by the newly freed people in Texas. The Emancipation Proclamation freed all slaves, but not all slaves became free. Similarly, when we come to Christ and we repent of our sin and we dig deep as we've been talking about and we renounce the sins of our fathers and mothers and the generations that preceded us, we are free. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You and I no longer have to be slaves to our past, slave to the sins of our families of origin. Look, I know on some levels things that I've been saying maybe even feel like conflicting information. Because on one hand, I've said there's more to being free than just accepting the sacrifices of Jesus. And on the other hand, I've said freedom comes by accepting the sacrifice of Christ. So which one is it? It's both. When we come to Christ and acknowledge, confess, and repent of our sin, our past our sin is forgiven. First John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Our spirits are new. The curse of the sin is broken. The curse of the law is broken. But because our minds retain all of our learned behaviors, we have to fight to maintain our freedom. For 250,000 black slaves, it took more than two years to receive the freedom that was rightfully theirs from the Emancipation Proclamation. And the same happens with us. We're legally free because of what Christ did on the cross. But we embrace and we walk through that freedom by renewing our mind and saying, "This is I'm free of this. Remember, just a few weeks ago, we talked about our spiritual authority as believers. All authority has been given to Christ, and we have been raised with him in heavenly places. So there are two parts that we've been talking about to the process of deep change, and one is spiritual. Our spirits must be made new. Paul said we were dead in our transgressions of sin. But then we were raised to life with Christ. Right? We saw a physical example, a metaphor of that just a few moments ago. We're dead in our sin. We die with Christ and we're raised to new life. That's one part. And then the second part is the mental battle, the renewing of our mind. The, the soul progression. Remember, our soul as our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's why, that's why people will come to the altar or their, wherever they accept Christ at. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be at an altar. It doesn't have to be in church. That's why people will be deeply, emotionally moved. Emotions, again, that's our soul. Their soul is moved. Their spirit, God. God draws them through his spirit. There's no other way to come to Christ. So God draws us. We surrender our lives to Christ and we feel like I'm never going back. I'm never going to go back and do those things again. I'm never going to do whatever the vice is, fill in the blank. I'm never going to drink again. I'm never going to abuse my children again. I'm never going to look at pornography again. I'm never going to go back to, I'm never going to do whatever. The same thing the Egyptians did. They left Egypt and they said, I'm never going back. But because Egypt culture was so ingrained in them, the farther they got away from the liberation, the more they wanted to go back. And that's why people will surrender their life to Christ and they have a genuine experience with God and then they turn and they still desire the same things. Because if we don't implement part two of the deep change, which is renewing our mind and bringing our belief systems and our processes and the way we do things into alignment with Christ, then we'll always be, we'll always be slaves even though we've been set free. Repenting and surrendering our lives to Christ is step one. Exercising our spiritual authority and renewing our minds is step two. And maybe it feels like we've been saying the same thing over and over for the past few weeks. Listen to me. God wants us to be free. He wants us to break through even more than we want to break through. He wants us to to fulfill our purpose even more than we want to fulfill our purpose. God is for you, not against you. You do not have to be a slave to your past. You do not have to be held captive by your parents or your grandparents or your great grandparents. I don't know about you. But I don't want to be saved in this life and just barely getting by because I refuse to think differently than generations before me. God has so much more for us than that. So much more. The process is not easy as we talked about in the first week or two of this series. And as we talked about in this message, the familiarity of my dysfunction often keeps me from going through the door of the unknown because I'd rather, at least I know this. I know what's going to happen. I know the cycle. I'm, I'm comfortable here. I don't want to live my life that way. I want to embrace the new. Again, it's difficult. It's simple, but it's difficult. Could we pray just for a moment? God, thank you. Thank you for being with us today, speaking to us. God, thank you for who you are, that you're good. Thank you for setting us free. You made a way, God, even before the cross for the Israelites to be free. And after the cross, you became a curse for us. The curse of the law is broken over our lives if we surrendered our hearts to you. I pray, God, that we could walk in the freedom, God, that we don't, we don't have to wait any longer. God, just like those slaves in that store that were in Texas that were free but didn't know they were free. God, many of us are sitting here, we're still in bondage. We don't know that we're free. Help us to embrace it today, knowing, God, that you pay the price. We no longer have to live as slaves. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.